0: Hey everyone, I'm Boomer and delighted to have you join us here on our Game Time Podcast. Today's guest played 11 years in the NFL, mainly with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, he's actually the only player in league history who has amassed at least 75 touchdown passes, 35 rushing touchdowns, and get this, five touchdown receptions. I am so pleased to be joined by the dynamic and versatile game-breaker Cordell Stewart himself,
1: Cordell, welcome to our Game Time podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Boom, haven't haven't spoken to you in person in a long time. See all of, all on television all the time with Coach Coward, but you guys have such a great time and so much fun. But good to be with you, brother. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate
0: it. And thank you, Cordell. And by the way, I know all the dirty secrets. Coach Cowers let me in on everything. And we'll get to that in a minute. People who recall watching you play, Cordell, you were ahead of your time, many say. By and large, quarterbacks were not supposed to run as a first resort. But you kind of paved the way for the likes of Michael Vick, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, Lamar Jackson. Do you believe that will be
1: a major part of your legacy? I think it will be. I think as the game continues to progress, you know, because, you know, and I know back in that time, it was more tolerated, not celebrated. Um, and then it didn't help my case by being able to catch the ball as well as I did. Right. When it came to how you narrate that, 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 that position at that time. Uh, but to see it the way it is today, I think if it continues, because things become a fad, right. You know, the, what is the wildcat system? It was a moment in time, right. Uh, to now this RPO thing, you know, it, can it be a moment in time, but, I think the mobile quarterbacks, you see the, the Deshaun Watsons with the contracts. You see the Kyler Murray. He defined the odds with his size. What, he's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, at best. You know, he's the number one overall pick. Uh, to uh, Michael Vick, as you alluded to a second ago, to Donovan McNabb, uh, to RG3, you know, uh, the Colin Kaepernicks, you know, all these, even the Josh Allens. Let's be transparent, the Josh Allens and how he moves around and make plays. Let's go to Patrick Mahomes. you know, Patrick Mahomes. You know, the game has evolved to where that style of quarterback will be the majority and not the minority. Because when I came in, it was coming off of yourself, the Jim Kellys, and in my era, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, coming on the back end of my career, um, to the the Phillip Rivers, to the point where now it's those names I just mentioned. And if they're taking the scepter and running with it in the National Football League, and they're creating a defense's to be as transparent to that style, meaning the mobility and the ability uh, athletically, um, it's it's going to continue because that's how they're coaching the game on a collegiate level. So it's going to be a slew of players coming in. And I think it, my, my style will resonate and it will be talked about, I, I think, as we progress even more uh, once we uh, you know continue to talk about it.
0: You know, here's an amazing player I want to ask you about. Um, he's just like you. He was drafted in the second round, probably wasn't expected to do much. And all he's doing is leading one of the best teams in the NFL this season, and that is Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, You know he's making a million six this year, Cordell. Mm -hmm. He's going to get a new contract after this year's over, and he may win the MVP in the NFL. I mean, to me, he—I feel like he's more like you than any of these other guys that we're talking about.
1: Uh, You know what? I appreciate that because Jalen Hurts is steadfast, right? He go to Alabama. you know, Tua, Tonga Valoa come in, take his spot. He has to come back in. He comes and he does it well. So he's showing perseverance, right? Uh, then he ends up going to Oklahoma. Does great there, right? Uh, then he gets drafted, and, and, and you see the, the the issues he had his first year with whether it be confidence or whatever, and people counting him out, technically. Uh, not giving him a chance because of his abilities didn't match in their minds of what they thought a starting quarterback can be, right? Just like myself and many others, right? So, but this kid gets an opportunity now with the new regime that he has in place, and he's so freaking poised. It ain't, it's not always about the accuracy of the throws to me. It's more of the decision making. Because once you're convinced with where you need to go with the football, the accuracy will come, right? The effectiveness and the efficiency of what you're doing and how you're doing it will come. And the decision making that he's made, I think, has catapulted this team in position. To be a team that have to be reckoned with, MVP conversation, no one needs to be hesitant to see if this is going to continue. We don't need to see if he's going to take it to the next stage in the playoffs because this style has been known to kind of wilter as you get closer and closer to the championship game. All styles wilter if you're not good enough to get to the championship game. That, That goes for Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and yourself, myself, and anybody else. If you're not good enough to get there, you're just not going to get there. But this dude, he's going to get the contract that he deserves, and, and, and his style of play, which is one step in the red zone for a fade route, you know, inside the 10, to three, right, <laughs> yep. taking it back, right, to so the three steps outside of yeah. it, to the five-step drop, the seven-step drop, the bootlegs, the sprint outs, you know, the half sprint outs, all that good stuff, to the throwback screens. He's able to do all of that stuff that you and I, all the other players have been able to do, and he's doing it on the level that's very consistent and effective and, most importantly, efficient when it comes to his decision making, not so much, can he throw, he's a better runner, he's effective and efficient across the board with what he's doing. Amazing,
0: a million and six he's making this year, maybe next year, he gets all the way up to 40 million. Mm. I wish we were still playing. By the way, last year, by the way, last year you wrote a personal essay in the Players' Tribune, and I'm glad you wrote it because I didn't know about all this stuff. You know, Sometimes you get caught up in your own career and then when you read about something that somebody is writing that is truthful in their eyes, Uh, It really does, like, have an impression on you. And you wrote, basically, you theorized that racism caused fans of that era to have preferred you as a wide receiver. And you also talked about a smear campaign that centered on your sexuality at the time. I don't remember this, but when I read this, I was like, man, I didn't know what to take
1: away from it. What, What did you want me to take away from it as a reader? Well, one all of that stuff you know the, the rumor stuff never happened never was true because I allegedly had gone to jail I don't have a record never gone to jail in my life I don't know what a jail looked like other than what you may see on television and how they created so that's the closest thing I have to it right watching power and all that kind of stuff that you, you know we have a chance to watch but um, when you have those types of attacks right on your person it, it it then causes you to ask the question of what this is really about right so that poem see it through uh, that I have in my autobiography becomes a very close and very pertinent piece that I need to actually survive and persevere through those moments. Because, you know, as a man, as a grown man, you never want to be challenged in that, in that space, not when it comes to something that never happened and is true. And those were some of the things that I had to endure in order to be a quarterback in that city, you know, because, you know, there's betting going on. Don't 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 get it twisted. There's some hate calls and mail that come out where – you know, there, there, there's some acts that, that's not favorable. You, you can't say that they're, you know, kumbaya, we all together type attacks. You know, these are personal attacks. And, and and when you're called the N-word and you're being talked about, you know, you're being called out your name and it's not true and they're trying to give you baggage that doesn't belong to you. My name is not on this bag. It's like going to baggage claim, right? You try to find a yeah. bag that belonged to you. That <laughs> bag didn't belong to me. You know, my name wasn't on it. So I didn't want to claim it. I didn't want to embrace it. And I'm not going to accept it at all. And so in that article, you know, it's it's a thing more or less is find out who the person is before you allow that perception to become your reality, because sometimes a narrative can cause people to when they see you be like, oh man, he's really a good guy, or he's not as bad as as, as I thought. I mean, he's pretty cool. He's not. He's okay. Like, what you thought I was going to be? Boom. <laughs> I mean, he thought I was going to be this crazy guy. And sometimes, you know, as athletes, you have to you have to deal with some of that stuff that comes up sometimes. And and to put it in perspective and process it in my psyche, I had to do that in order for me to be able to take the proper and a healthy next step forward. To not be bitter, to not have vigor on me, or or, or even resent. You know, anything. I had opportunity uh to go to the Atlanta Falcons game and, and you know, here in Atlanta with Mr. Rooney. Got a, got an invite to sit in the suite with him and come on, dude. Like, bro, if 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 I was feeling some type of way, I could have blamed Coach Power, I could have blamed the, the Rooney family, I could have blamed the stealing nation completely, but I didn't. I took the high road and I mind my business and I and I stayed the course. And if I would have engaged in that type of, of matter that was going on around and festering around. It could have hurt me more, right? So if I indulge into it and make it a big deal, now all of a sudden I make a mistake on the field. Well, he's not focused. You know, he's not locked in. Something's wrong. We need to give yeah. him a chance to step back. So I took the road of saying, you know what? That's not my problem. That has nothing to do with me. And this is just a part of playing this position, is how I said. And it is, right? You're in know, the high places, you know, people are going to judge you a little bit harsher and harder, sometimes in, in, in ways that you wish never happened. Uh, but it happens for a reason. And look, here we are again years later. We're still talking about it. We're still being able to engage in it. And, you know, look at the game today. So if we took the game yesterday and put it in today's game, we wouldn't have those problems, right? And so you have to charge it to the ignorance of those who actually took that that, that, that charge and that direction in dealing with it. But, hey, it's water under the bridge. It's not me. And I just, I just choose to keep on going, bro. Take the high road. All right,
0: we're talking with Cordell Stewart here on the Game Time Podcast. And Cordell, as a proud University of Colorado alumnus, you got to tell me, what was your reaction to Deion Sanders taking over as head coach of the Buffaloes?
1: Unbelievable, Boomer. Um, you know, Coach Mack was the, the the name that I think we all know that resonates when we think of CU football, right? All due respect to all the coaches in between that time up until Deion. Uh, but that's what we remember most in those glory days of going to the national championship twice at 89 and 90 to my years of being there from 91 to, to 95 and that Hail Mary pass that we see every single season when college football starts around the month of September because it was such a, a significant play for our institution. Uh, and we haven't been playing well enough to where that becomes the play to allow everyone, everyone to remember when we were really good. But Dion now brings that same energy. Um, you know what he comes from when it, when he had the opportunity to play at Florida State, uh, to what he's done in baseball, to what he's done in football, and the things he's done with this Under Armour camp with the young kids, the youth, uh, to what he's done overnight at Jackson State, to now have a chance to do it at a Power 5 institution, uh, let alone Regents setting it up to where it's allowing these kids, whether students or even the athletes, to get into the school because the criteria was probably somewhat little stringent, if you will, but it's allowing those kids to, to be recruited that Dion liked to get. Uh, it, it, it's 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 overnight a success, truthfully. Not it's not saying a national championship, yeah. it's not saying a Pac twelve championship right now, but you know we will compete come Saturdays and, and that's what we love about having Dion a part of uh, Buff Nation. You know, two
0: things. You you seem to be really happy, and I'm sure Buff Nation is really happy. But, you know, Deion's taking some criticism leaving Jackson State, and I'm just wondering, do you think that criticism of him leaving Jackson State is fair?
1: It's fair in its own right, right? Uh, Because the alliance of a lot of these fans are with Jackson State, okay? Um, And rightfully so, what they're not saying is what we need to hear most, right? It sounds like an oxymoron. What they're not saying is what you need to hear most is they would love to have him stay around to keep that relevance with Jackson state and help them win and play for the SWAT championships. Also playing to the championship game. If they're actually having a chance of playing in these upcoming weeks. Uh, that's what they're, that's what the, 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 the backlash I think is, even though they may categorize it as money or, or, or saying, you know, they, they have to go to the quote unquote the other side as opposed to staying with the HBCU. When you're a person, you know, this is a, this is a, an anomaly if you will, with with, Don, with Dion. There's not too many coaches, right? That have a chance to play the game on the highest levels to then coach on a high level or higher level if you will, high school then college to have the success to move on to the next level. It's never been done. Because what do you hear most time, Boomer? You know, just because you play the National Football League doesn't make you a great coach. How many times have we heard that, right? And I've heard, yeah, I've heard it a lot, yeah. We, we've heard it a lot, right? And so now you have it where this guy who is that that phenomenal athlete, football player, great mentor to a lot of young kids, very influential and inspiring, now have a chance to do it on the next level in the Power Five. I get it. I mean, I would be hurt, too, if if, if our very own is, is leaving us, knowing that we we've never had this type of cachet within our conference. Um, and now he's leaving us. Like, what do we do now? Life goes on. The template is set. The blueprint has been put in place. You know, you have an ambassador for the HBCU and Dion. He's never going to leave it. Uh, if you need him, I'm sure he's there for the assistance. Uh, but I get the pain. You can't run from that. But. It's his time to move forward. He's accepted this opportunity, and and, and why not? This is a great chance. It just so happened to be at my alma mater. All
0: right. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I don't want to, you know, just berate Dion. I think what he's done is amazing. There's no question about that. Let's get back to you. In 2016, you actually went back to Boulder to get your communications degree. Yes. You were gone for a couple decades. You go back. You get your degree. Why
1: did you do that? Well, I have my son. He's 19. Um, I wanted to, you know, I've been raising him full time since he was eight. Uh, Been in his life the entire time, but had him one-on-one, you know, father to son uh, here in Atlanta. And, you know, it's amazing how, you know, sensitive kids are when it comes to retaining information and and, and what can be a cause and effect and how they move in their lives. And, and, And to be that male figure in his life every single day, I couldn't do nothing but do the best I could to try to be a good example and give the best that I could. Uh, Had one class to take, ironically speaking, to where I had to be on campus to take it, which was great, honestly, because to be on campus in a different light, not playing a game, but just as a student, I was working with TuneIn at the time. I was going to the, the studios and still do my work and still go to class and go to the academic department and do all my work, whether it's first thing in the morning, working out with the team, doing homework and studying at study table, to actually doing the homework there after work to make sure I get it done because it's all compiled into what a five, four to five week period, a whole semester in one week you know, and a whole month. So it was, it was tough, but it was a tremendous amount of fun. And uh, I just wanted to comp- finish what I started and, and got it done and can't ask for anything else.
0: Yeah, it's good for you, Cordell. You know, your other famous alma mater, the Pittsburgh Steelers, instituted a Hall of Honor back in 2017. Now, since then, there have been calls in the press by a lot of fans, social media, for you to be inducted into that Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Honor. Wow. What would such an honor mean to you if that ever happens?
1: Well, you got my coach that you work with. You know, we we went through some tough times. We had some phenomenal times. Wish I could have gotten him a championship because, you know, he, he took a chance on giving me that opportunity knowing that I play receiver so well. And we, he sometimes still said, like, my best receiver was my quarterback. And and, <laughs> and that's a compliment, you know, and right, yeah. rightfully so it's a compliment. Um, some can take it the wrong way, but that was the talent that I had. And he took a chance and gave me a chance to be the quarterback on that team. And as you mentioned, the 75, 35, and five in one organization, I don't think we'll ever probably see that again, to be honest. Um in all three categories, uh, you know, because we utilize my skill set extremely well, whether it was Chan Gailey, Mike Malarkey and all the other coaches in between, Ron Earhart, even uh, as the coordinator, of my rookie season. Um, you know, so if that were to happen, you know, it allow all those tough times because, you know, as quarterbacks, you're not as good as you think you are, not as bad as they say you are. That's what Coach Cower says all the time. Right. So I, that rides with me in life. Right. Because uh, he's Right. But to get that honor there in in, in the city of Pittsburgh and in all of the things that we've done back in the 90s to where we're seeing the game the way it is today. Oh, my God, it'll make it so much uh, worth it, man. So that would be great. I'll be in tears. I tell you that much. I, I'll let you. I'll come right. on your show and talk about it, too. Crying probably. On all right, show. good.
0: I will tell Coach Cower to make a call on your behalf, all right? So we're just getting warmed up with Cordell Stewart. We'll retrace his roots in Marrero, Louisiana, just across the Mississippi from New Orleans when game time continues right after this. Coach is hilarious, Cordell. The stories are great. Yeah, man. They are great. I love him. Welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Due to circumstances beyond his control, Cordell Stewart had to grow up faster than many of his peers. That meant developing the strong work ethic that his father, Robert, who had modeled for him and taking on added responsibilities around the home. You know, uh, Cordell, your mom, Florence, was diagnosed with liver cancer, and she was only given six months to live, but she fought for nearly a decade. And you were only 11 when she unfortunately passed away. And you said that you wanted to be a survivor not a victim. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, sometimes in society we allow our circumstances to be our reason, right? And 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 I didn't want that to be a reason for me to fall off with all the things that she and my father instilled in all of us, my brother, my sister, and myself. And uh to 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 continue that push, and my dad was a strong piece to this and, and hats off to him because he had to deal with the loss as well. Um to continue was all we could do, right? And if you put your best foot forward, you know, hopefully if you plant those seeds the right way, good can come from it. And I just wanted to be, I just wanted to get it done. You know, I didn't want to sit around and mope and and, and make excuses because that's the easy way out. And tough as it was, you lost your mom. You know what I'm saying? But she would not have wanted to be any other way because to see her go through what she's going through and the doctors giving her a short time to live, but she lived longer and to see her in some of the states that she was in, when she actually was struck really hard, to where she was in the hospital, you could see her body steadily withering away. And and when massaging her sometimes in the hospital, I remember, she, you know, she was in pain, and she would look over her shoulder, and I would be standing behind her, behind her, and she's like, with a smile on her face, "What you looking at with your ugly self, right?" And I'm like, <laughs> if she could have that sense of humor in her tough moments, what am I complaining about, right? I don't have any reason to complain. Keep a smile on my face. Keep it going. God-given abilities. God-given opportunities take advantage of them and let whatever happens happens by you putting in goodwill and just doing the best you can and let everything else around you actually do what it does and know that if you do the right thing good's going to come may not every time but you'll fall on the good side of the stick and you know my mom was a, a pure example of how i was able to persevere through life the game and uh just just know that you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. Just continue to push and do the best you can and, and go from there. And she was truly the female love of my life. You know, you
0: talked about being a single dad yourself. Obviously, your your dad, Robert, became a single dad, That's unfortunately. Right. And I'm just wondering what you learned from him and how did he inspire you?
1: Well, just to keep, him, keep it going, bro. You know, it's like dad's love is that tough love, right? You know, I want no excuses. You need to do better. If you don't get it done, this is what it's gonna be, right? And so, if you have that type of tough love in your life, you know you have no choice but to continue to push. Um, it was tough on him. I mean, he gave me—I would say, honestly, Boomer—about, I would say, a week, if you will, to we both moping and 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 it wasn't necessarily moping, but just kind of going through the the, the 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 minutia and the and the and the, and the, and, and the movements of not having her around anymore. Um, and you know, it got to the point. You say, you know what? We went to Wendy's, you know, my dad thing was the chili and the single meal, the happy meal that, you know, that, that, you know, the chili with the you know crackers and all like that good stuff. And we would sit at Wendy's. This was a time of going to Wendy's and McDonald's and Burger King was really a big deal back in the day. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was kind of almost that four-star restaurant because it was the thing to do. Right. So I remember him sitting there, Boomer. And, you know, he said, you know, we gotta, you know, I know it's tough son, but you know, we got to keep this thing going now, you know, because if we don't keep it going, you know, everything's going to start stacking up against us, right? Whether it's the bills because we can't work because we don't feel good to you're not doing your work in school and failing because you're not because you're going through what you're going through. So we got to get back on track and working. And, uh, you know, that 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 having short term memory was established in me early in my life indirectly uh, until I was able to understand it as I became a quarterback on a collegiate level to the pros when those conversations came real fast like you're going to learn to have to have a short-term memory because you're going to make that mistake but you got to double it double it up like coach Kyle used to tell me sometimes I throw a pick he'd be like you owe me kid I'm like I got you coach I got two more come, two more touchdowns coming back and we would do it and, and 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 you know that's what I learned from my dad and uh it was great
0: you know, your high school coach, Billy North, claimed, now I don't know if this is true, but he did claim that they had a rule there at your high school before we went home. The last, the last coach left had to go to the weight room and look in the weight room and make sure that Cordell Stewart was not in there because you never wanted to leave the weight room. So what motivated you to stay in that weight room and just be dedicated the way you were?
1: Golly, boom! you going deep, brother. you with the coach North. Yes. My goodness, dude, what are you doing to me here? Um... <laughs> Good job, brother. That's a real great one. Uh, that man right there was—he was special to me. He was—he was—he was, he was, he was very—he was vital in my my maturation process. He was involved like many, but he was hands on heavily. Um, the tradition that we had at John Aaron High School was extremely rich. Um, started as an all-girls school, and I think it maybe in the eighties ended up turning to co-ed. Uh, coach St. Pierre came in, was the head coach and a few other coaches after that. And then Billy North came from a school called Archbishop Shaw, which is where Vance Joseph, who we know is the defensive coordinator, Mickey Joseph, who was at Nebraska. I think he was a secondary coach there. Then ended up getting a job at, Kyle, at, at, at John Errett. And I remembered all of my friends I went to middle school. I'll get to your, your question. All the schools, all the kids I went to middle school with had a chance to go to Shaw. I was the only one went to Errett. And so all of my friends at Archbishop Shaw, where Coach North was coming from, was working out really hard. They was using the strength shoes. They was using the parachutes. They was taking the amino acids and all of the vitamins. Mm-hmm. And my buddies didn't know about it because these are the guys I was playing Little League ball with. I went to middle school with elementary, you know, daycare with Pat Riley, all those guys. And I wanted to do what they were doing because I know from a resource standpoint, they were getting all of the good stuff. We were a public school. They were a private school. So I would take that mentality of what they were doing over there, knowing we'd have to compete against them, and brought it to John Eric. So when my teammates was ready to go home, I wanted to stay in the gym. And so all that stuff we see with Jalen Hurts, that's what we were doing in high school. I was benching 355. I was squatting 500. I was power cleaning 290. You know, I was running 4-4 and a 40 on grass. Like, we were doing that stuff way back when. And uh, – <laughs> For him to say that he would be the one that took me home, take me home every day because I would be holding him up to get home to his wife and family uh, <laughs> because I just wanted to be the best on the team and give him everything I could. And he appreciated it, it became the Hall of Famer out there in, in uh, the greater New Orleans area because of all that hard work. And yes, Billy Noah was was phenomenal. Well, the good news is is
0: that you are Louisiana's most valuable player and, of course, New Orleans Player of the Year. What a great story out of high school. You know, you were recruited by a number of college programs, including Syracuse and South Carolina, to name a few. Ultimately, you chose defending national champion Colorado. I'm trying to wonder what it was like when head coach Bill McCartney visited your home, and what did he say that convinced you to join his program so far away from home?
1: When Coach Mack and Bob Simmons came into my home and coach Mack looking me dead in my eye and my dad who was sitting at the counter at the bar area behind me. Um, I was like, Whoa. Right. And I just was like, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma, Minnesota, but Colorado Vance (laughs) Joseph was there at the time. He became my host on my recruiting trip. Uh, Christian man, Straightforward guy, graduating 66% of its athletes at that time, which was a high percentage at that time. Um, had a Bob Simmons uh, who recruited Vance who wanted me to take the visit, at least worst-case scenario. Saw the guys that looked like me in that community, right? Darren Hagan, Vance Joseph, Eric Enemy, Alfred Williams, Cannabis McGee. Uh, I mean, you can go on to Mike Pritchard. You know, you saw Rico Smith. I mean, I can go, Leonard Renfro, I go on and on, right? Um, and I'm like, if these dudes can do it here and those dudes over there are not doing it, over, why would I not want to go where these dudes are? <laughs> and I mean, just straight ebonics and, and elementary talk, right? So I'm like, bro, I'm coming. Coach Magic got me. I took the visit, bro, took the flight, boom, got off the flight after sleeping. I dialed 1-800-GO-BUFFS before my dad picked me up in baggage claim in New Orleans. I said, Coach, I'm coming. He said, did you talk to your dad yet? I said, nope. I said, I'll let him know the news, told my dad, oh my God, that was 30 minutes of a haze beyond your imagination because he didn't want me to go too far. But I made the decision, dad loved it, and uh, the rest was history, bro. Yeah, it
0: turned out great in 1994. A well-known Rick Neuheisel, today is well-known, maybe back then he wasn't, became your offensive coordinator He said that if he had been coaching you from the time you were a freshman, you would have been a first-round pick as a quarterback. Yeah, he How was,
1: he yeah. yeah, he was, he was, you know, he coached Troy Eggman. So that was kind of the sell of the pitch, right? For me. Um, and it wasn't negative. It was positive because I'm like, if you had a chance to be a part of that greatness at UCLA, um, knowing that he went to Oklahoma as an option quarterback, but he became a, a prolific passer now in the hall of fame, which we all know. I was like, let's make it happen. And that was arguably my best year uh, uh, of my career, even though with Les Steckle, I had my sophomore year, I threw a thousand yards plus to Charles Johnson, the late Charles Johnson and a thousand yards to Michael Westbrook, my sophomore year. So that was the first time anyone has ever done that at the university of Colorado. Uh, but Rick Neuheisel came in and, and, and refined my thought process in how to understand that position. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know how it is when you have just a coordinator and not a quarterback coach, you kind of, yeah your, your vision is really wide. The scope is really wide, but he took it and brought it in really, really tight and uh, became really efficient and effective with throwing the ball everywhere. We had a balanced offense. Rashawn Salam, my, 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 you know, Heisman trophy running, uh, running back, just got inducted into the Colorado hall of fame. Uh, we had him, Michael Westbrook, another one. Um, and, and, and Rick really refined how I thought about the, the position and, uh, Ended up losing one game and and came close to going to the national championship that year.
0: You know, it's amazing how many great players played at uh, Colorado when you were there. And during your senior year, one of the greatest plays in college football history took place, speaking of Michael Westbrook, and that was the miracle at Michigan. This was that 64-yard Hail Mary that he caught as the game winner Time expired. The cameras caught a glimpse of you on the ground. I remember I just looked at it on YouTube, and it looked
1: like you were actually on the ground
0: crying. Were you
1: crying at that point? There's no crying in football, Cordell. I know. I I do it all the time. I did it once before with Coach Kyle on the sideline. He'll tell you, I cried a couple times, man. But, dude, let me tell you, man, you know, that game had, as he would say, the and flows of having a chance to blow them out to we losing. You know, because statistically – We had the numbers. We were doing good. We just would stump our foot sometimes, right? Um, But, you know, I just remember going into that last sequence or two of of series, series, and Rick Neuheiser was pacing the sideline, right? (laughs) And he said, it's going to be the greatest comeback in college football history. And we have these band members behind us and for some reason this one that was calling us paper champions he was the shortest kid in the band and his helmet <laughs> would come down over his face and he would have his chin strap not touching his chin but down like down below here if you can see me right and we're yeah. looking back me and Rashawn and a couple of guys i'm like you see this little dude back here talking crazy the Talk <laughs> paper champions or whatever he's like man don't worry about that and rick would say where's well, going to be the greatest comeback in college football history and he. Maybe put my towel over my head and stay in my own world. And lo and behold, if they get the first down on their last drive, we don't get the ball back. Yep. And as soon as Rick said this, I think it, uh, Bianca Batuku, I think if I pronounce his last name right, he did get the first down on the running play, I think it was. And so they had to punt. And so Chris gets it, in, Chris Hudson gets it inside the 15 yard line. And we just have to get at least to like the 35 in my mind i'm saying like the 35 or maybe the 40 yard line for me to be able to heave it right and in that moment i'm going to the sideline that like there was going to be another discussion of what we can do with only five to six seconds left on the clock and coach's like what do you want tip left and so that's when you see me and blake anderson in the video if you watch it number five we walk yeah, back into yeah. the huddle and rashawn and my center, uh, Brian Stoltenberg, and all the guys are holding hands like it's the first play of the game. And I'm like, guys, just give me some time. And I come up to the line, Boomer. There's only three right, three down guys. I said, are you kidding me? They're about to give me this kind of time? And so my left tackle and Tony Birdie and Rashawn Salam mauled Price on the left. And I get on the outside. And I just was from the minus 26-yard line. I just throw as far as I could, which we did in Boulder. Altitude allows you to do it. Yep. And the ball gets tipped like on the one to the goal line and Mike comes out of nowhere and does what Mike has been doing his entire career with me and make the greatest catch and the, the greatest throw in the history of the game, bro. And, and that game still resonates in that moment, still resonates, resonates in college football history. And Rick was a big part of that, to your question.
0: I'm just going to tell you, Frank Reich and Doug Flutie would argue about their moments in history along with yours. All three great, no question yeah. about it. All right, we'll be right back to explore Cordell Stewart's roller coaster ride in the Steel City when game time continues right after this. So, watching that YouTube clip, Cordell, is unbelievable. Yeah, bro.
1: Yeah, I, I cried. I, I You know, because I jumped on Vance Joseph, if you watch it, ho- all the way through, right? And he dumps me on the ground. He's on top of me. He said, I love you, Morero, I love you, Morero. I said, great job, bro. And it just hit me all of a sudden. I'm like, Jesus, bro, we just... Com- <laughs> and that was it. I was done. I was done. I was done. <laughs>
0: Welcome back, everyone. Leading up to his 1995 NFL draft, some coaches thought Cordell Stewart would go higher if he was willing to play other positions, but he was adamant, and I have to tell you, I appreciate this, about being a quarterback. Good for you, Cordell. He was drafted in the second round, 60th overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So what did it mean for you to go to Pittsburgh? And there's my NFL Today colleague, Bill Cowher, standing there. What was was it like first
1: meeting him? You know, the scowl, right? That chin, you know, that yeah. thing just out there in your face and you're facing, you're, you're spitting, you're spewing on everybody, you know? And, and then I had my former teammates there, like the Ariel Solomons that come from Colorado, the Dion Figures, the Joel Steve, the Charles Johnsons and the Chad Browns. And, you know, to, 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 to get drafted by them um, it, it was a team that we saw growing up that was the marquee teams in, in all of football, right? You know, the that run of the 70s uh, with the Lynn Swans, who I now know is a good friend, you know, the Star and and Terry Bradshaw, who we know is on Fox and you know, all that fun stuff. And To be a part of that tradition was very similar to the tradition in which was established at the University of Colorado. So it felt good to be a part of history and tradition to where the expectations were extremely high. And to get that opportunity to be with Coach Kyra, we kind of hit it off right then when we had our OTAs early on. And the energy that I had about being excited about it to his energy of, of being excited to have, a, a talent like myself, you know, because the question was asked at the Combine, if we needed you to do something else, would you do it? Tom Donahoe sitting in the back with the white hair. And I'm like, who is this guy? Babe? Is this Papa Smurf? You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> and you don't know what you're looking at and who you're talking to, but you just remember seeing moments in people in that room. And, you know, those guys around Earhart's, you know, all those guys were in there, Coach car And it was a great, comfortable feeling and meeting and never thought of Pittsburgh but thought of Minnesota more or less uh, because, you know, that was one of those places that Ray Sherman was, was, was at. And I yep. spoke to him and, and Kevin Gilbride had a chance to go to Jacksonville before they actually ended up getting Mark Brunel in a supplemental draft, if you will, um, met with him and thought that was a possibility as the 31st pick overall. And none of that happened. And Mel Kiper had me going to the Steelers. And once I got there, you know, it just became a, a, a great time and a lot of fun and, um, you know, we 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 made some really great strides in history. To be honest with you, uh, with Coach Coward taking the chance of, of of allowing me to be myself, basically. Yeah,
0: well, you know, he let you be yourself. You actually became a running back slash wide receiver slash quarterback slash kick returner, and the legend of slash was born. Now, ultimately, you became the starting quarterback, as we all know, albeit one with rare running ability at the position. The Steel City and the entire nation actually loved you when you first took over there. Yeah, you know, I'm just wondering, how did it feel watching that Nike commercial in which Jerry Stiller plays Vince Lombardi yelling in the film room, you can't stop Cordell Stewart even if you played the film backwards. Yeah,
1: that was that was a Nike commercial. That's when
0: yeah. you
1: know that slash phenomenon thing was just out of control. It was it was it was so far out there. And honestly, boom, you know, and to answer your question. That was a phenomenal commercial, by the way. I mean, sometimes it you, was. you have some on Twitter that still replay it, right? Because you see the quarterbacks today and they replay that those moments and letting people know because this younger generation don't really know, you know, unless some out and about or whatever. But that was one of the better commercials. And uh, that was one of those times in my career. I think one of the special team coaches may have said, this is going to be a year you'll never, ever forget for the rest of your life. And, you know, as Myron Cope would say, hi, he's slashing and dashing and getting it done. This guy can do it all, you know, kind of deal. And, and you know, that, that's, that was the life of us in Pittsburgh at that time. And, and uh, it was a big part of our success, and, and I was glad to be a part of it. You know what? I know there were up and downs
0: for you. There are a lot of ups. There are a lot of downs. In your 2016 memoir, Truth, you detailed the 1998 incident in which a Steelers fan dumped beer on you and called you the N-word. Yeah. Now, to keep your composure, you kept your composure. You thought about a poem called See It Through by Edgar Albert Guest. Yeah. By any chance, do you still remember that poem or at least the key lines in that poem?
1: Well, it's uh, when you're up against the- up against a trouble meter, squarely face face, lift your chin and set your shoulders, plant your feet and take a brace. When it's vain to try to die to do the best you can do, you may fail, but you may conquer. see it through. Black may be the clouds about you, and your future may seem grim. Don't let your nerve desert you, keep yourself in fighter. trim if The worst is bound to happen, in spite of all what you can do. Running from it will not save you, see it through. Even hope may seem but futile when with trouble you're beset. Just remember your face, with other men have met. You may fail, but fall still fighting. Don't give up whatever you do. Eyes front, head high to the finish, see it through. So that poem was given to me by one of my then teammates slash friends, if you will, uh, when just needing something to help me see it through, right? Now he's my fraternity brother, um, part of Omega Psi 5 Fraternity Incorporated. And that poem has a tremendous amount of meaning um, nowadays. And it was something that was very vital in those transition moments, those moments of having to persevere through the good and the bad times, right? So um, that that is something that resonates, I think, with everyone's life uh, when you're up against a trouble meeting squarely face-to-face, right? Lift your chin and set your shoulders, plant your feet and take a brace. Boomer, you know you've had some tough times, whether it's being your family, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business and just day-to-day living. You have to find something you can connect to to keep you whole in those tough times because your natural state, you want to be frustrated, you know? You want to... You want to complain, you want to mope, you want to say how you really feel, but you know that's not going to get you where you're trying to go. And as a competitor, sometimes you have to take that energy and channel it properly and use it for the better good of what you're trying to accomplish, because it's not always about you, right? It's about entities that has nothing to do with you, but if you stay focused and stay channeled right, it can help you move forward. And points like that really helped me in life and didn't know how instrumental in my life that poem was actually being acted out you know from a child up and even to to this day to the point where it's amazing that uh that poem still does have a, a certain amount of meaning even to this day
0: you know one of the best segments we've ever had here on game time i appreciate your remembering and reciting that poem from front to back and it's really an amazing uh, moment in your life i'm sure and yep. uh resonate with our uh our, our viewers for sure as well all right, we're in conversation with Cordell Stewart here on the Game Time Podcast. And, Cordell, I thought this was a fun fact. You actually threw the last touchdown pass at Three Rivers Stadium, and then you scored the first touchdown in Heinz Field history. So what do you like
1: most and least about both historic stadiums? Wow, they both were great. Um, ooh, well, well, Three Rivers had all of the history of those before us, right, uh, and, and, and what you had to live up to. Uh, and, and then when the, fan, the fans go crazy, you remember when you were in Cincinnati, you would come to Three Rivers when, yeah. when you guys, when we would play against one another. If You would see that the stands are just bouncing, right? You know, because we had similar stadiums, right? Cincinnati yeah. Stadium was similar as far as the, the mock-up of it was similar to ours. Um, but the noise, the energy, everything about it, the expectations from the fan base and also the players and, and the expectations coming from Coach Cowher, Beyond words, but Heinz Field, you know, scoring the first touchdown in it, uh, going to the AFC Championship in our first year in it, um, it took a life of its own. I was in there for the only two years because in 02 I ended up, that was my last season, but it was, it was, it was, while it was the same, it was also different, right? You know, it was cosmetically, it was, the aesthetics was a little, a lot different and more updated, obviously, of course. Uh, but the history of Three Rivers will never be forgotten and can never be challenged. Uh, there's just been too much. Now, this generation of kids and, and parents mm-hmm. and, and older folk will remember Three Rivers probably as much, not Three Rivers, sorry, Hines, as much as those in the past remember Three Rivers because Ben has done a phenomenal job of getting him to three championships in Hinesville and winning two of those. So, you know, a lot of history just when it comes to the cross, the, the cross-up and, and intertwining of both uh, uh, um, buildings, if you will, or stadiums, um, it, it's it's. I, I can't take away from one or the other, but I just know the history of Three Rivers will never be matched because of the times in which they played and how it was done. But God dang it, what Hinesville was just as good. So <laughs> you know, to end it with with the last touchdown, if you will, to the to the first one in three, in Hinesville, I have a mark in both. I'm excited about it just to be a part of
0: it. You know what it is? It's all about the fan base, So one of the greatest fan base in sports history is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan base for that short. So let's get away from football for a second. I know golf is your passion. I know you love playing it. We were talking about your Uh, Mm hole-in-one. Tell me how your dad and you first got into the sport and why this is so amazing.
1: Wow. Um, Funny. So my dad was a construction guy, right? And he had a friend by the name of Mr. Mackey. Mr. Mackey had a roofing company, but my dad was a construction guy and, you know, he's an African-American man and he would want my dad to come in and, you know, paint his house to keep everything good. And that that mattered to us growing up, you know, to see someone that was successful at that age that looked like us. Because we, didn't, we thought success was what we only knew, which is our family, you know? We only know what we yeah. know. And so he ended up giving my dad a set of browning clubs, right? The browning clubs look like the set of hybrid clubs that they have through titles from your pitching wedge all the way up to your three iron. Like they have sets of clubs that's with certain brands today that look like all hybrid clubs. Even Shrixon, who I'm a brand ambassador of, they have a set of clubs, I think it's their ZX4s. They have a set of clubs where they all look like hybrid clubs. And so what we did was we went in the backyard, my dad would cut the grass really low in this one area, right, and he would take the, the flag that we would put on the back of our bikes when we used to ride, and the flag used to lean all the way down. The further down it leaned, that meant that's the faster you were going, right? So we would take it and we would put it in the, put it inside that little circle that we created as a, as a, as a green, so to speak. And we would take the woofle balls, the little plastic balls that had holes in them. Yeah. And and I would take those browning clubs and I would hit it as hard as I could in whatever direction I wanted to to try to hit a cut shot of draw. Didn't know what I was doing, but just having fun with the ball, right? <laughs> and it would land on on the spot. So as time progressed and we could afford it. We would go to the municipal courses, and then once I could afford it, we joined at English Turn, and and then I would jump over into Forest Creek, which is in Pinehurst, and, you know, became a founding member at Bright's Creek, which is up in Mill Springs, uh, right outside of uh, the cliffs in North Carolina, and, and and here in Golf Club of Georgia, here in Atlanta. So I'm all over the place with golf, right? And it just became a trickle-down effect. So my dad exposing me to that life. Uh, really allowed me the opportunity to to lend myself to something that I know in a normal state of mind coming from where we come from, I probably would have never done. So uh, you can credit my pops, you know, who's not with us anymore, um, for getting me involved in that game and and loving it the way I do. So golf is uh, kind of like football as a quarterback, right? Decision-making. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah.
0: You know, what a life you have lived, Cordell. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Boomer Esaias, and I'll see you again real soon right here in Game Time with WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelberg. Cordell, that was
1: great. Thank you, brother. Great story. Good job, man. Great interview, But That was nice and light and easy and fun.